setting fire to the stoner stereotype, sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Thanks so much for joining us on Burning Issues, part of the Cannabis Radio family. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As many of you know, I'm Professor of Psychology at the University of Albany, author of the Oxford University Press book, Understanding Marijuana, and the High Times columnist for Ask Dr. Mitch. Today, we'll have a new segment of Self-Compassion and the Art of Activism, but first, we've got some delightful time with television personality Rick Steves. As Rick Nicks around the world know, Rick's TV show shows you how to be a temporary local at some of the most amazing places on Earth. His travel guides help people save money and have a splendid time. In fact, the book on Paris helped make my 10th anniversary a complete delight. Rick has also done astounding work for the Cannabis Crusade. He schlepped all around Washington State, giving compelling talks to voters, and we all owe him a debt of gratitude for helping pass the tax and regulate law there. He could have rested on his laurels and just enjoyed the Washington products, but instead he headed down to Oregon to help more Americans. His talks helped get voters out in droves so Oregon can save court time and law enforcement efforts with their taxed and regulated market. So let's give a warm Burning Issues welcome to Rick Steves. Hey, Mitch. Rick, you're Caucasian. You're over 25. The chances that you'd ever be arrested are really minimal. Why put effort into repealing prohibition? You know, Mitch, I was... um outspoken on this in Washington State and running around and giving talks and raising people's awareness of this. And I got to know um, Gil Kerlikowski, who was the police chief of Seattle at the time's uh, lead narcotics guy. And he was tracking me to know what we're doing in the marijuana movement and the drug reform movement. And he asked me that same question. He said, you're you know, a well-off, comfortable white guy here in the suburbs of Seattle. With discretion, you can enjoy marijuana for the rest of your life with no, with no uh, impacts. And uh, I just couldn't believe that he was actually acknowledging that this is a, a racist law, that it is uh, enforced um, not equally across the board in our community. And, you know, Mayor LaGuardia, when they were dealing with the uh, prohibition against alcohol, said that when a society has a, a law in the books that it does not intend to enforce consistently across the board, the very existence of that law erodes a respect for law enforcement in general. And what we've got in the books right now in most of the United States is a law that makes marijuana illegal. And the, all of the uh, statistics and the experience indicates that it is a racist law. And rich white people don't get arrested. Poor people and people of color do. Uh, that's one major reason for anybody who cares about our community to get involved. And, and that's something I was proud to do. It's great. You know, Harry Levine has those data suggesting in New York City that if you're Spanish is better than mine or your skin is darker, you're at more risk for arrest. And it really upsets me. And then people occasionally ask if my wife is of African descent or something like that. And it's really not that. It's really just part of of our love for each other. You started speaking out when it was still really scary. Do you think your stance on cannabis and homelessness and other issues could put your business at risk? Well, if it did, I think I would still speak out. I remember a few uh, decades ago, I was, I was uh, at a peace sign in front of my building where we, I employ 100 people here in north, just north of Seattle at Rick Steves Europe. Um, 
And um, I was walking across the street looking at the building. We had our peace sign out, our peace flag out. And the man across the street said, boy, I bet if you knew how much that flag cost you at your bottom line, you wouldn't have put that flag out. And it just really astounded me that somebody could actually support a war that they don't believe in because they're concerned about their bottom line. You know, we, we, maybe it's because I'm a traveler and I know that half of humanity is trying to live on $2 a day and all of our economic hardships here have to be put in relative terms, but I wouldn't embrace a lie that was causing 80,000 people, mostly poor people and people of color, to be in jail and that was causing 800,000 people to be arrested every year. I wouldn't embrace that lie because it affected my business. Now, I've been speaking out on this, Mitch, for, as you know, for more than a decade. I've been a board member of Normal for more than a decade. And I think I've, done, I've always said I'm not pro-pot. I'm pro-civil liberties. I've always uh, said that I don't think use will go up if we legalize tax and regulate marijuana. I've always said it will just take business away from organized crime and we can have regulated businesses. I've, I've always had the European kind of pragmatic harm reduction take on this. And I find that people, conservative and liberal, if you get 10, 15 minutes to talk to them about this issue, they can at least respect that some caring citizen would uh, oppose the status quo when it comes to the war on marijuana. They don't need to agree with you, but they can see that there's good grounds for opposing it. Every once in a blue moon, somebody's going to say, oh, Rick, I know what you think about uh, marijuana, and we're not going to take your tours, and we're not going to read your guidebooks anymore. And, uh, you know, I just have to think, well, Europe's going to be more fun without you. I mean, some people are, are hopeless that way. You mentioned uh, sort of injecting a European sensibility to the U.S.'s drug policy. Can you kind of give us, just kind of unpack that idea for our listeners? What is the European sensibility? The the European sensibility, Mitch, is um, the only thing gateway about marijuana is the fact that it is illegal. Because when it's illegal, uh, casual recreational smokers have to buy it from criminals on the street. And these criminals on the street... Uh, are savory characters, and they've got a vested interest in getting you, the person inclined to experiment with drugs, hooked on something harder, more profitable, and more addictive. That's why marijuana is a gateway, if it is, because you've got to buy it from people who'd like to sell you harder stuff. And the other European sensibility is use. Consumption is not tied with, it's not correlated to how strict are the laws. By every country, every society's track record, there's no correlation between how strict are the laws and how many people are smoking. Uh, For instance, the Netherlands is famously uh, progressive and easy on marijuana, and by every government statistics, our governments and theirs, uh, the Dutch smoke about half the uh, average that the Americans do. And among European nations, the Dutch, who are about the most progressive on the issue, smoke much less than the European average. Uh, And you can do hard time in the United States, and there's a lot more smoking of pot here per capita. So I think that's a big misnomer in the United States that consumption will go up if we legalize. There, there, a lot of Americans are very fearful about this. They don't want their society to turn into one big hemp fest, and, and I can understand those concerns. And they think there's a big reservoir of decent people who would just ruin their lives if marijuana suddenly became legal. And I don't think there is that reservoir out there. I think anybody who wants to smoke pot does. And as we've learned three years after legalization here in Washington State, I've just been talking to some legislators on this the other day. You know, it's sort of like we had a hunch. It's not an issue. Okay, marijuana is legal here. I'm looking out my window right now, and it looks exactly like it did before marijuana was legalized. I would just say our governor has to arrest eight or 9,000 less people every year, and we're generating tens of millions of extra uh, money saved in law enforcement, uh, and we're also generating tens of millions of dollars saved in extra tax revenue taken away from organized crime and, and gangs. 
So every use has not gone up. Teen use has not gone up. Crime has not gone up. DUIs have not gone up. Even if they had a little bit, they would settle back down. Uh, I, I just think this is more and more states are going to now, now that there's a real track record, we won't be operating on hunches anymore. More and more people are going to see the pragmatic harm reduction dimension of this issue. And they're going to see the beauty of taking the crime out of the equation and treating drug abuse as an education and a health challenge rather than a criminal one. From your mouth to God's ear, man. Uh, I can't thank you enough for bringing all this stuff up. I know you've toured the Netherlands many a time and you just alluded to it. Can you let people know what it's really like over there? Well, the Netherlands, uh, you know, you've got a pub on every corner in Ireland. And in the Netherlands, if you know where to go, every town has a couple of coffee shops. And the Netherlands really believe that it's good to not have this out in the streets. Uh, recently, there was a big discussion in the Netherlands where the federal government there was under a lot of pressure by American trade policy, by neighboring European countries that didn't like marijuana leaking into their countries, and by uh, right-wing Christian groups that they should roll back the laws on marijuana and shut down some of these coffee shops. And there was uh, concern that they were going to do that, but it was the mayors of the big cities that stood up against the federal government and said, hell no. If we have marijuana shops closed down, then we're going to have uh, gangs in the streets with turf wars selling it, and we're going to have all sorts of violence and crime, and we don't want that. So the mayors uh, protected the status quo when it comes to the coffee shops in the Netherlands. Now, when you walk around the Netherlands, every cute town has, uh, you know, it's got an area where there's some prostitutes, and it's got an area where you can, you know, buy some marijuana, and you can smoke it right there if you want to, or you can take it to go. Older people generally get it to go. Younger, hip people generally sit right there and, and suck on their bong and, and, uh, and uh, socialize or read their email or, or whatever. My European friends have taught me, and my Dutch friends especially, that a society has to tolerate alternative lifestyles uh, or build more prisons. you just got to make a choice. And the Netherlands and much of Europe has decided to tolerate alternative lifestyles. And the consequence is they lock up one-tenth as many people as we do. Here in the United States, we lock up about 10 times as many people per capita as Europeans do. And uh, either we are inherently more criminal or there's something screwy about our laws. And I think when you look at the issue, it's pretty clear there's something screwy about our laws. Exactly. Hey, as my cannabis radio brother Vivian McPeak would say, we've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. We'll be right back with Rick Steves. Stay with us on Burning Issues. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, panda and paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. 
from high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com. And we're back. We've got Rick Steves as our delightful guest today. Rick, I wanted to ask about the Portugal decriminalization experience. Would you care to talk about that? Yeah, in Portugal, there's a law, I think it's called Law 30. Is that what it's called? Do you, do you remember? Indeed. Uh, law 30. Yeah, and um, 10 years ago or so, uh, after, well, Portugal had a dictator, and Salazar, and they finally threw him away. And when a society throws out a dictator, there's this sort of a hedonistic fling because all of a sudden they got freedom. And the result of that was there was became a lot of hard uh, people addicted to hard drugs. And that was a real problem for little Portugal. And they got together and they had a liberal government in power and they decided we're going to do something out of the box here. We're going to legalize the consumption of all drugs, soft and hard, so we can target the needs of our hard drug addicted population and help them out. Uh, pretty pretty uh, creative and, and radical at the time approach. Ten years later, uh, there's a conservative government in power in Portugal and the law was due for reconsideration. Are they going to re-up it or are they going to throw it out, uh, this experimental law? Ten years later, even with the conservatives who opposed it originally in power, Portugal has looked at the track record and they realized none of the uh, threatened downside of the law was coming true. There was not more drug tourism. There was not an increase in marijuana consumption. There was not, a, not an increase in young people using drugs. Uh, their police force uh, was able to focus on serious problems. Uh, and they and and they cut a lot of the violence out of the equation, and they were able to treat hard drug addicted people not as criminals but as sick people who needed help. Uh, and the conservative government re-upped Law 30. Uh, that is a very good test case, and I just love thinking about uh, Portugal's ability to deal with its problems. And today, Portugal has half the number of people addicted to hard drugs as they had 10 years ago, and that means Law 30 is really working well. And they're nowhere near the top of the EU when it comes to cannabis use either. So I, I think it's just a wonderful right. data set. Yeah, you know, Mitch, I think people who want to smoke pot do. And if all of a sudden, you, you know, somebody who's never smoked pot, somebody could go across the street and buy it like a packet of cigarettes, I don't think they would. And if they did, that's civil liberties, as long as they don't hurt anybody uh, when they're high. So, I mean, it's just that's a beautiful thing about the United States here. Uh, we can go to bat for our civil liberties, and I think it is a uh, civil liberty for adults to use rec marijuana uh, purely for recreation as long as they do it in a mature and, uh, and thoughtful fashion. Uh, I couldn't be with you more. Hey, your efforts in Washington State were just stellar and really much appreciated. I know you're a regular at HempFest. Do you have any thoughts about how HempFest has changed over the years? Well, HempFest kind of got me into this, Mitch, because it must have been 15 years ago. Um, I just walked through the whole – HempFest is a long, skinny festival. It goes all along the waterfront in Seattle. And you walk for half an hour through this, you know, just – it's a – it's a festival of counterculture and a lot of crazy people. And it was a real eye-opener for me that there's a whole subculture of our society that is just as legit as everybody else. And once a year, they get to come out from the dark and they get to celebrate what they think is important in public, in the sunshine, 
under the Space Needle with a view of the Pacific, uh, the, the Cascade Mountains and Mount Rainier. And it's just, it's such a festival of freedom and creativity and, and, uh, and life. And I thought, and they're all celebrating something that they can go to jail for. And I thought, if you locked up all these people tomorrow, Seattle would suddenly be a much less interesting and vibrant place to call home. And I thought, you know, this is really important that in our society, we have people not who are tie-dyed and counterculture and scary to a lot of suburban moms, but people who are not scary that can get together and talk common sense to our society so we can take the crime out of the equation. Hempfest inspired me that way. I love the spirit of Hempfest. I look forward to uh, my moment on the main stage when I get to share my passion for this issue. And in the last couple of years, for me, it's a little less exciting because we've uh, legalized marijuana. We still have some uh, battles to fight in Washington state. And of course, we've still got a lot of other states uh, around here that, that need to see the light. But uh, Hempfest is, is quite a remarkable celebration of freedom, and it's done a lot to move the cause forward to end the war on marijuana. Statement for diversity. I know you've got friends who've worked in Seattle politics for years and years. Uh, how have they reacted to the ideas of a tax and regulated market? Well, I'm literally having lunch with my governor in a couple of hours, and he just called me up this morning, and he's in Seattle, and he's got a little time, and he loves to check in with me and see how things are going. Uh, Jay Inslee was not very tuned into the issue, and the day he got elected governor was the day that Washington State, along with Colorado, became the first political entity on the planet that decided to not decriminalize marijuana and just turn their eyes on the whole backside of it, all the uh, distribution and, and wholesaling of it and production of it, but to actually grapple with what the Dutch call the gray area, that, that they've never really had the initiative to sort out. Uh, Washington State and Colorado and now other states are actually dealing with the gray area. And uh, there's a lot of cannabis activists that are upset with different dimensions of the law and so on. Uh, but we have made huge strides. And I just feel like Washington State kind of was the, the if, it's, if there's a war against the prohibition on marijuana, somebody had to fall on the barbed wire fence so other people could walk over us. And Washington State fell on the barbed wire, and other states are learning from us and walking over us into that great freedom of ending prohibition. And I believe our politicians are seeing that. And again, we need a track record for them to really be confident on this because they're going on a lot of hunches. They're going a lot on a lot of propaganda from the government that wants to maintain the status quo. But now that we see the reality in our state, uh, we don't have an increase in consumption, uh, not an increase in DUIs. We have a smart law that really protected safety and tax the heck out of it and then redirected that tax revenue into drug programs and education. Everything about it is good. And I think politicians now are realizing that this is a winning issue. I'm surprised presidential candidates haven't got it. But I've always felt the public was a little bit ahead of the, of the corporations and the politicians on this issue. You said it. Hey, arrests are definitely down in the state, and it sounds like it's really saving a ton of money. And it kind of echoed some things you'd said before about how law enforcement officers – kind of took advantage of cannabis prohibition in the way arrests were done at certain times of the day or certain stages of their shifts. Could yeah. you explain that? Well, I've always wanted to give law enforcement officers the benefit of the doubt. I think it's a very, I'm so thankful I don't need to lock my car and that if anybody's prowling around uh, my house or my building at night, there's going to be policemen out in the streets checking it out. I, I travel in a lot of countries that don't have that kind of law enforcement respect for law and I'm thankful to get back home where we've got that. On the other hand, policemen are, are just human, and uh, they have a lot of stress and a lot of financial woes themselves, 
And I know that uh, there are police forces, like New York City is notorious for this, where police officers will shake down some guy that looks like he might have marijuana in his pocket, meaning some poor person or some person of color, and they will find a joint in their pocket, and they'll do it at the end of the day, and it takes several hours to book a person, and that policeman gets time and a half, so he gets a huge bump in his pay by just grabbing some guy in the street. And unfortunately, the policeman goes home with a little extra money in his pocket because he gets that time and a half for his overtime. But that guy he arrested now is saddled with a record, and that makes his life, which was already difficult, much, much more difficult. And when you read about this issue and you read about how unfair it is for the kind of people who end up getting arrested who don't have the wherewithal to play the game and, and get the legal defense and so on, it really is a tragic thing in our society. And we could talk all day about the ramifications of the racism and, and the unfairness in these laws against marijuana. But New York arresting people late in the day so police officers could get a little extra time and a half. That's a good concrete example of how our laws can be abused. And there are innocent victims who we hardly give a thought to. I think those points dovetail nicely with uh, your generous work in helping the homeless. Would you care to mention you know, how that got to be such a dear issue for you? Oh, well, I, you know, I run a business. I employ 100 people here in Edmonds, just north of Seattle. We take 20,000 people on our tours every year around Europe. We did about 800 tours last year, and I've written guidebooks, I think 30 or 40 different guidebooks covering all of Europe and make our TV show for public television and my radio show. So I'm really busy, and it goes way back to me taking groups around and writing guidebooks and, and uh, learning how important it is to be able to afford a roof over your head when you're traveling around the world. And uh, I guess that gets me a little tuned into what an important thing it is, just from a, a wellness kind of point of view, the fabric of community, to have affordable housing right here where we live in this wealthiest country on the planet. And as a business leader in my community, I've got some extra money. And uh, I just, instead of building up a, a nest egg for my own retirement, what I've done is I, I took my retirement money and I bought a 25-unit apartment building, and I gave the use of that to the YWCA and for the last 10 years, they've been housing single moms and their children. And for me, the return on my retirement capital is not taxable interest, but it is the beautiful thought that through my hard work and what I've been able to do in my, in my work, my, my business, I've got enough money to house 25 moms and their kids who are really were in desperate straits. And these moms cycle in and out of this uh, apartment unit and get their feet back on the ground and they get their lives back on track. And that's the return for my investment is that I get to help house 25 people. So I don't think it's noble. I think it's just enlightened. If you've got extra money, you can buy a big yacht or a, or a condo up in some ski resort, or you could buy a very simple apartment building and let a housing organization run it for you so you don't have any of the stress that comes with being a landlord. And every night I go to sleep knowing that 25 moms and their kids are getting a, a nice cozy place to call home. Oh, man, that just warms my heart. Hey, we can't thank you enough. We'll have to have you come back and talk about all this again another time. Thanks so much to Rick Steves. All right, Mitch, nice talking to you, and let's look forward to 2016 when uh, four or five more states are going to see the light. Here we go. Yes, indeed. Hey, it's Mitch Earlywine. We'll be right back with more Burning Issues. More Burning Issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com. 
helping gondrepreneurs grow. MJWellness.com, the largest medical marijuana community in the world. Connect with thousands of patients, doctors, industry leaders, and businesses through shared personal experiences along our worldwide network. Discover new therapies and benefits with content tailored to you. Come grow your network on MJWellness.com. You're not alone. Your wellness matters. Learn, live, and thrive. Check out MJWellness.com today. Growing green to generate more green. Hello to all you happy herbalizers, smiling, trippy hippies, and everyone who believes in freedom and tolerance. This is The Grow Show, and I'm Kyle Cushman. From food to fuel, from remedy to resource. Welcome my guest, Ed Rosenthal, the guru of ganja. Let me ask you, right now I hear your lighter clicking. Are you smoking indoor, or are you smoking sun-grown? What am I smoking? I'm smoking concentrate. (laughs) Way to get out of the answer there. So you're truly like the the, the king, right? You just have, you just clap your hands and somebody brings you a bowl and you're all set, right? Mm, I wish that were the case. (laughs) The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. Time to fan the fire on some more burning issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, welcome back to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine with our next chapter of Self-Compassion in the Art of Activism. Here's the part of our show that encourages all our listeners to take good care of themselves and each other to support the Cannabis Crusade. Today's focus is on social, a fancy way of saying how great it is to have friends. Literally three million papers have been published about social support. It plays an important role in everything from anxiety to xenophobia. We probably evolved to enjoy hanging around each other. Whether we're sitting around the fire back in the Bronze Age or sitting around the home theater here in the 21st century, humans always seem to do better in groups. No one of us is as smart as all of us put together, of course. But in addition, few people are quite as happy alone as they are among friends. The research on social support can be a little peculiar. It's really not how many friends you have that matters. In many ways, having one close friend is markedly better than having a hundred friendly acquaintances or 4,000 friends on social media. And your perceived support might be more important than any of those. That is, the more you notice all the support you've got, the better you feel. It's especially good if your friends seem to enjoy hearing what you think. It's a big help if your relationship seems open. And it's nice to think your friends seek you out for companionship. We all know social support is great, but what can we do to enhance it? Most of the ways to improve social support make perfect sense once you hear them. Sometimes, as simple as they are, we still forget to do them. Four of the easiest ways to enhance social support are really, well, they're obvious, but you still got to do them. I call these make the time, call the room, help a sibling out, and schedule the appointment. First and foremost, make the time. Friendships take time. 
it's always great to know that you can be away from your real pals and pick up where you left off. But why have to? Funny how keeping up regularly makes you feel as if you're part of someone's life and that someone's part of your life. Even a hermit knows that regular contact keeps that lonely feeling away. And it's always nice to talk to someone about your week without having to explain the whole month. So make the time. You got to eat lunch anyway. Why not do it with a friend? And who says you got to go to the laundromat all alone? In addition to making the time, call the room. That is, when you're having a good time with a buddy, say so. Hey, this is fun, or even great party, goes a long way. It not only lets your friends know that you're having a superb time, it also helps them take a moment to notice all the fun they're having with you. Funny how these moments can build on each other. You say you're having fun, your friend says the same, and then you're both having a better time. Give this one a try sometime this week and let me know how it goes. In addition to calling the room, help a sibling out. When a brother or sister needs a favor, lend a hand. It should feel natural to offer to drive a pal to the airport or pick up some munchies on the way over. If it does, go ahead and do it. If it doesn't, I gotta wonder, is this person really a friend or not? And don't be afraid to ask for a hand when the time comes. Nobody expects you to be made of steel. Maybe you're the one who needs a ride or a snack. No harm asking. And if the thought of asking makes you uncomfortable, again, I gotta ask, is this your friend or not? Finally, schedule that appointment. By schedule the appointment, I mean plan a time to get in touch again. You don't have to nail down the specifics of your next outing. Sometimes that can feel a little pushy. But you can explain when you'll get your next message across. It can be a simple part of a gracious goodbye. You can always say, text you later in the week, see you Thursday, or the familiar, smell you tomorrow. These messages let folks know that they can expect you to be in touch soon. Of course, if you don't want to be in touch soon, you've learned a valuable lesson too. So hey, thanks for scheduling a few moments to listen. I had a good time with you all today. Let me know if you need anything at 420research at gmail.com, and I'll smell you next week on the show. So thanks for listening to Burning Issues at Cannabis Radio. You can also find us on iHeartRadio and iTunes. My hearty thanks to producer extraordinaire Brasco and our guest Rick Steves of Rick Steves Europe. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.